calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. everyone and welcome to our limited edition podcast for Decoded Pride Issue 2. We are super pumped to have you with us and today we're speaking with a small round table of creators about their creative process, why queer speculative fiction matters so much, and where you can pick up our amazing new anthology. Spoiler, it's at decodedpride.com. Hello, everyone. I am Monica Estrella Negra. Today, I am so fortunate to have three guest speakers who are also featured authors within our Decoded Pride issue number two, which will be available in June for Pride Month. If everybody could possibly introduce themselves and also name what story you submitted to Decoded Pride, that would be amazing. Whoever wants to go first, go right ahead. I'm Robin, and I wrote In a Place Like This. I'm Shia. I go by he, her pronouns, and I wrote Vipicus. Hi, I'm Kaylee Hearn. My pronouns are she, her, and I wrote Sisters of the Whispering Inferno. Amazing. And these stories are quite the spectacle, everybody. But, you know, if you go ahead and get your subscription at decodedpride.com, you will be able to experience that firsthand. All right. So we're here for a roundtable because we wanted to give everyone the opportunity to talk to these amazing authors. And uh, one of the things that we definitely wanted to highlight was the importance of queer speculative fiction. And the fact that this anthology is in its second year clearly shows that there are numerous individuals that are out there creating content but have not found a particular space for it. So we are super proud to be hosting this, and I'm super proud to, like, pick your brains because these stories were absolutely amazing. So I guess I would just ask, 
you know, what prompted your decision to submit to Decoded Pride? I saw Decoded listed in Author Publish has a list of themed subscriptions, um, and I checked it out, and I was feeling really excited to be published in a queer publication, because there are some stories that I really only want to share with a primarily queer audience. Um, and then I read most of last year's Decoded Pride, and was just really impressed by the quality of the writing and wanted to be part of that. Aw, thank you so much. That's awesome. What about you two? What made you want to submit to Decoded Pride? Uh, well, in my case, uh, I hadn't been writing for a while, at least not as far as fiction. And I just wanted to at least give it a shot, at least try to, <laughs> to put my work out there in some way. And it just happens. It just so happened to be at the time I had also just finished watching Jennifer's Body. <laughs> and I need, and I want to write a story inspired by that. Amazing. Jennifer's Body is like one of my favorite, favorite films. And also totally on a tangent, but Megan Fox is actually returning to her Scream Queen origin. So that's like pretty pretty exciting. Kaylee, how about yourself? Well, I'm lucky enough to be a two-time guest for Bitches on Comics. I was one of the panelists for an episode about comics criticism. And, you know, I talked to Sarah and Essie, and it was just a really great episode. I, it was so much fun. And so I wanted to keep in, you know, in touch with their future projects. And I saw, you know, the sort of Call to Arms for Decoded Pride 2, and it just was also serendipitously the time I was really trying to get back into writing fiction. I majored in creative writing, but I've mostly been doing nonfiction and pop culture writing for the last couple of years. So I was like, hey, I'm going to do this. And it was great. I had so much fun writing it, and I'm super excited to be a part of this project. Amazing. And we're super proud to be here talking about these stories today. I'd like to know what types of challenges exist for queer and trans speculative creatives in your in your opinion? Uh, I would say just anything written by people like us because it comes from a certain perspective. Uh, usually it, does, it doesn't even have to have a focus on our identity so much as just our experience. I think one thing that I always wonder about is when I include pronouns that are like non-binary or that are like non-binary and not they them, if like that will be rejected kind of just on like the assumption that it'll be too complicated for a publication's readership. You never know why you get a rejection letter and they're like, you know, pretty common. And so it's hard to know, was it, did it have anything to do with there being like queer elements or feeling niche or was it just like the kind of normal list of reasons that pieces get rejected? So like rejection along the lines of just people being transphobic, editors like not knowing, kind of just like people that operate on the, the binary scale and just like hetero heteronormative scale and just being like this will never sell or like nobody would be interested in that in that retrospect. Exactly, yeah. Totally. I feel like though there has been like a push with diversity like in publishing, I still feel as if there is significant transphobia that exists within mainstream publishing because of that like actual fact. What are the options? Like whether we make our own spaces or we do DIY projects or something along the lines of that is do you think that that's like probably the only wave that we could possibly um the only way that we could possibly get our work out there I think that it's like a one like I think both of those options are really great ways and then I think there's also like as 
I think there will be a shift over time as there are more people who are more, who have like worked through a bit more, more cis people who have worked through a bit more of their transphobia, that we will very slowly kind of see the rest of the publishing world come along. As a writer and an editor, I think it's also really important to make sure that we have queer people, not just as writers, but in editorial roles as well, because that can make, you know, such a big difference, you know, uh, sort of breaking down the gatekeeping and to getting representation through the door. I agree with what Kayla said. Exactly. It helps to have people not just um, writing, writing from our perspective, but people in a critical sense, like people who are working in editorial, people who are working in critique to also get their perspective on how uh, queer stories work. I think it's a really good bet, and I think it's like really important and kind of proves that there's a market and people who want to read it. Um, and I also think that over time we will see it being more possible to publish in more mainstream venues, kind of as the as there is a lot of like trans and queer activism in the general culture, but it will pull along the publishing world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're saying is like media embraces like true inclusion and diversity that there will actually be a place for us to like submit our stuff where we don't have to worry about like being rejected just based on our identities. What about you, Kaylee? Where do you think uh, DIY projects fit into the uh, queer and trans speculative fiction publishing world? Oh, I think they're incredibly important. They're in our DNA. You know, one of my favorite places to sort of reconnect with uh, the queer comics community is Small Press Expo, which is just, which has like a wealth of do-it-yourself, real punk, uh, amazing queer speculative fiction in so many ways. Who would you consider to be one of your major influences that inspired you to become an author or to like start creating in the own vein and like the own spirit of your own identity? I'm not sure if I would particularly say it was specifically for identity, but the first work that I remember that, that comes to mind that I remember making me want to write is probably Animorphs, like specifically just K.A. Applegate's work, which nice. turns out she's awesome and she loves trans people, which is great. But it was just like definitely the Animorphs to trans pipeline. But, you know, uh, I think it's just... Uh, <laughs> Excellent. I think it was just like, there's that type of fiction that's assumed that like young children can't handle, whether it be actually about queer people or about certain types of like violence or situations that that can happen either in a fantastical sense or in real life. And I just feel like that made me want to learn more about writing. Like it made me want to do more than what was like expected of me as a child. And it kind of carried over into the way I approached writing as I grew older. Is, is, Is she on Twitter? Yes. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And she's been, like, really vocal about, like, trans rights her, and stuff Her like that? daughter is trans. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. That's also just, like, super nostalgic. Uh, Animorphs are, like, probably one of my most read books when I was a kid. And did they ever make a television show out of Animorphs? They made the 90s TV show starring Iceman. From the X-Men movies. Wow, really? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, wow, that's bonkers. Why isn't that streaming? I'm going to go on YouTube later and see if was I it, can find it, like, it. It was like Iceman. I think it was uh, the one guy from, I want to say from Numbers was in it. I can't remember. Numbers. It was like this crime show on CBS. I just I just remember that because it was just like the same guy. I was like, oh, it's the guy from Adam Wars. Was it about serial killers? I th- I think so. Yeah, it sounds like it. Like, I think 
like there was like a trend uh, in the 90s of like serial killers and like naming movies after numbers like seven and the 12 monkeys and yeah all this other stuff. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so <laughs> Shia, who, who would you say inspired you uh, in order to embark on your writing career? I really love Alexis Pauline Gum's work Evidence, um, which is in Octavia's Brood. And I find it so hopeful, the imagining she does of writing about someone in the future, kind of writing a message back to us during this time. And talking about all of the things that have changed and how much healing has happened. And also from this perspective of, like, I can't quite imagine how hard things were. And thank you for, like, working through that hardness. And it just feels like a balm for your soul. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes, Alexis Pauline Gums is awesome. And Octavia's, Bro- Octavia's Brood is such a powerful book. Um, it's really amazing how Octavia Butler um, has been able to occupy so much space in people's brains, um, especially during such a politically tumultuous times and like people trying to reimagine what the future looks like going forward post-pandemic. I, 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 yeah, I just, I just love Octavia butler i don't know i think that octavia butler is probably one of my influences for work but i also am just like she she was just ahead of her time i don't know and i feel like we can learn so 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 much if we just you know yeah but anyway so kaylee who would you say inspired you to embark on your writing career uh, my answer is a little tiny bit embarrassing because it would probably be Anne Rice and the Vampire Chronicles. That is not embarrassing, first off, okay? That's like <laughs> baby's first vampire, you know. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, uh, you know, a kid in Catholic school, and I was like, you can do this? You can have gay characters? And, you know, it was like total galaxy brain as, like, uh problematic as Anne Rice is now. But at the time, you know, as a young reader, it was so morally ambiguous and gothic and dangerous and so alluring. And it was just absolutely mind-blowing for someone who had had very um, sheltered reading material up until that point. You know, it was kind of like uh, my friend sneaking me a paperback copy of Queen of the Damned, you know, after school. Oh, wow, read this. Um, and so I'm dating myself a bit, revealing my true age, that from the Vampire Chronicles, I got into, uh, Anne Rice fan fiction. This was before she totally went nuclear and all fan fiction based on her work. And so that, uh, led me to, uh, online queer fan fiction communities, which, you know, again, sort of talking about do-it-yourself projects, you know, that's, that's fan fiction. But like a more recent inspiration would definitely be uh, Tamsin Muir and the Lock Tomb Trilogy. It's just an absolutely amazing series. I just read uh, Gideon the Ninth for the first time in January and it was so good. As soon as it was finished, I had to like read it over again. It was just mm. absolutely stunning work. What's it called? Get- Gideon the Ninth. Gideon the Ninth. I think I've seen people talking about that on Twitter, but I just wasn't sure. The name is definitely provocative enough. Um, yeah, it's uh, lesbian necromancers in space. Is the oh tagline. wow! <laughs> it's it's really really good. It's like it's completely original and it's so funny and so 
trippy. It's 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 great. I love the series so much. Oh my god, lesbian necromancy in space. I am sold. That's like a fanfiction.net original, I feel. And I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm like totally into that. Yeah. Um, but flipping the script over to your individual works, if you don't mind, I would appreciate if you talk a little bit about your stories. I'm going to pick Robin first. Like I said before, basically my story, I had watched Jennifer's body and I was like, hey, I got to do something. <laughs> it's just like, I just felt like I had to write something. And then I saw from um, Sarah had actually sent me it because she was, she was like, hey, you should check this out. And I was like, oh, I might as well write this. <laughs> And I didn't really have an idea for a story at the time. I just started writing basically on the idea, like, I got to write something about about monsters and gay girls. I had also been watching, um, there's this anime called um, Other Side Picnic about uh, two young women where one is a, basically, she's closeted and she she meets this girl uh, in this place called The Other Side where they, they run into urban legends and they have to survive in order to help find the other girl's best friend who might also be her ex. Like, it's a whole thing. And I was just like, man, I can write something like that. So I decided to just um, try my best and I got in. That's so rad. Gay girls and monsters. It's like a match made in heaven. <laughs> so, I mean, so you're clearly into horror, right, Robin? So if you had to pick, like, your top three horror movies and you can tell me to go away but if you had to pick your top three horror movies which would they be off the top of my head and i guess um saying jennifer's body would be cheating but um i mean in that case and i will include jennifer's body just for the sake of it but also Uh there's um these probably aren't like the best horror movies but uh my other two would probably be this short horror film called splinter which i think came out in I want to say 2009, um, which is just about, oh yeah, it's about, um, it was about this, this couple who goes on their, who's on their way to our honeymoon, but they get pulled over by a bank robber and his girlfriend. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and they end up having to stay in a convenience store while, uh, it's kind of like Venom. It's Uh this creature that's kind of like Venom meets Cordyceps and it's trying to like break its way into the convenience store to take over their bodies and use them as zombies. Oh, um, okay. And my other movie, which I haven't watched in a long time, but it left an impression on me. I, I thought, I feel like I can't remember the title because originally I saw it in Vietnamese, but I think the American title was The Maid. Uh, and it's about a maid who lives in with this family uh, and while she's there with their with their son and she starts seeing ghosts. And it's mostly, it's, it is still a supernatural horror movie, but it's mostly psychological because nothing really happens to her t- till towards the end of the movie. Oh, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Speaking of horror, uh, Kaylee, do you want to tell me about your story and about nuns? (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Nuns and horror. (laughs) (laughs) My story, Sisters of the Whispering Inferno, I like to say is a love story about spontaneous human combustion. Excellent. Um, and it is, it is set in a convent that, and, um, it's about a nun and her very strange sort of mystical order of nuns and their very strange specific purpose. Um, I don't want to get too spoilery, but yes, it's, there's a lot of spontaneous combustion. <laughs> a lot of spontaneous combustion. And is, is there a specific reason as to why you chose a convent to set your story within? Well, it, 
I sort of wrote the story a little bit backwards and that the, the very first scene in my in my short story was the scene that came to me first. And it was um, about this nun who uh, just burst into flames. It was just, you know, kind of a striking dreamlike image I had in my head. Um, I was raised Catholic. There's a lot of that shit. Oh, pardon my language. Uh, floating <laughs> around in my cerebellum, you know, 12 years of Catholic school will do that. So then I was kind of thinking like, okay, there's some kind of story here. Now, what is it? And so I kind of had to sift through, you know, these this idea. And um, it came into focus when I was trying to write something for Decoded. You know, what kind of convent is this? And what would happen if someone wanted to leave? And that's sort of where I got my main character, Verity. And uh, just you know, really exploring things from her point of view really made the whole story come together and gave it a very interesting perspective. Very great. And so in in regards to uh, your, your writing process, because you said that you, you started backwards, right? So is that like a, is that like a, uh, like, is that like how you work? I'm always curious as to how other writers like come up with their ideas and like if they have a method to their madness. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. I guess again, I, I um, write a lot about comic books. So I think I have a very visual way of thinking about stories. And so it's usually like an image that comes to me first mm-hmm. rather than saying, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a story about nuns. And this is going to be, you know, channeling my uh, complicated issues with, with uh, my high school. No, that's like probably in the subconscious, you know, when I'm sitting down to write it, it doesn't become really clear to me later. Mm -hmm. But usually there's some kind of uh, image or idea. And then I slowly unravel that or think, okay, or think of uh, try to get a story out of sort of a surrealist image, if that makes sense. Totally. And speaking of surrealists images and stories. Shia, would you like to tell us about Vivicus? I'd love to, yeah. Vivicus is a story about how a queer couple deals with it when one of them contracts a mental illness called Vivicus. And Vivicus is an illness that makes you see wild animals that aren't there and like basically makes you like help nature kind of reclaim your house while this disease like claims you. And what was your inspiration for this particular story? Yeah, so I had a really intense conversation with a loved one about what it would be like if either of us had a like really intense mental health episode and then and we didn't leave it fully resolved um and it was a hard conversation and then i had my queer writing group um the next night and just kind of poured this out have you have you ever seen the movie annihilation i have not when i was reading it that's what i was kind of envisioning because there were like these major moments that were happening in the film where this thing called the shimmer like came to earth and it started to kind of replace everything and nature just started to like take over certain things uh the imagery in the story is like very beautiful and your story in vivicus is like very beautiful do you feel that in regards to creation around the the subject of mental health do you feel that there is a bias in how mental illness is depicted within within speculative fiction or fiction in general or any type of media I think that, like, the part that I was trying to focus on is the, like, feelings when you're in it and of being, like, presenting it in a way that was really compassionate, both to 
the person who is experiencing um, all of the mental health stuff and also to the person who loves her. Well, excellent. I really enjoyed your story. So thank you so much. And as somebody that also deals with mental health issues, it makes me happy that it's uh, it's that there's stories out there that explore like the different types of situationships because I feel like people don't really understand um, how life has to change once you realize that you need treatment and that you have mental health or you have a mental illness and just like how that can impact your closest relationships and I think you did that effortlessly in your story so thank you so much for writing it. With that, I'm curious to know if either of you have questions in regards, questions for each other in regards to your own respective stories. The authors were able to read each other's stories, and we'd like to open up the table for you to ask each other just for, you know, either professional reasons or just out of basic curiosity. Uh, Shia, um, how did you come up with uh, your first sentence? Um, I think I just, like, wrote it, but, like, I don't know, sometimes things just, like, flow, and I was having a good night. <laughs> no, that that's a, a great opening sentence. Grab my attention immediately, and I was like, oh, what is this? Um, so I was hooked from the beginning, so that was a lot of fun. I was curious, you and your piece, you talk about people being drawn to their shadow selves, and... I was curious if that's true of, like, all of the people who have shadow selves, if they're all drawn to each other. And I was kind of wondering about if there's, like, a phenomenon of, like, them seeking each other out, or why was it that this particular pair sought each other out? Oh, wow, that's a really great question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in my story, there's sort of form of soul bonding, and I, I suppose I would say that this is the first time it's happened with um, my two main characters, Verity and Selena. I put in a few hints in the story that Verity in particular has some minor psychic ability. It's what, um, you know, they'd call in the story the quickened. It would be like if you're a mutant in an X-Men comic. Um, so normally uh, the sisters who have shadow selves, who uh, they are meant to protect with their lives, they don't have a psychic connection. So what happens is kind of unique and startling. And that's why Verity is very unprepared for it. So that kind of opens a totally new door of experience, if that helps. Yeah. And Robin, a question I had for you was, I think one thing I really loved about your piece was the like amount of sort of gore and horror that was included. Um, and I felt like you really got that balance like really well. Um, and I was curious how you kind of made those decisions around like how much suspense to build in and like how gory to make it. Uh, for the most part, I feel like a lot of stories, it just kind of, you have to see where it goes. Like you can plan all you want, but if you start to get to a point where you start to say, and then this guy got stabbed with a knife, you can, if you, if you originally intended it for not to be that gory, maybe it can be that gory. Maybe it can get to that point where it goes from someone has a simple like flesh wound to someone is now bleeding on the floor dying because that's what appropriate, that's what's appropriate for like the tone and the suspense of the story, uh, like the urgency of whether or not someone is going to be okay. Like, um, there's, uh, I guess not to spoil too much of the story for anyone who's eventually going to read it, but I guess there's a point where, um, one of the characters is injured and for like a good part of the story for as much as it is, there's a good part of the story where you're pretty sure she's, they're dead. You're pretty sure she's dead. And, um, I think that works to build the suspense of whether or not 
this is going to be a story where everyone dies or if, if one person's going to get away or whatever's going to happen. I think that can work to keep the, the reader engaged. Totally. Would there ever be a space where you, and this, and this is for Robin, actually, would there ever be like a space where you might like feel interested in moving over to filmmaking? Because I feel like you might make a really awesome horror movie. <laughs> I kind of want to. <laughs> I, I, I do, totally support you on that. <laughs> I do usually try to work on like script writing, but I've never actually professionally. I've never done, or like even in my spare time, I've never actually done a film. Always kind of wanted to, but you know, maybe one day. Um, and this is an open question, but if you have any projects that are in the works, would you mind talking about them? This is Shia, and I was writing for Grist had a contest called Imagine Twenty Two Hundred, um, and. Yeah, I spent quite a bit of time working on a story that's set in the year 2200, um, and I had a really good conversation with the director of the Institute of Human-Centered Design, who really pushed me to think about what disability and mental health issues could look like in the future, and how many things that feel like impairments today wouldn't be, and like what are things that are... like like kind of what are like the special abilities that having a particular disability or mental illness um, give you that like aren't appreciated in our world. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. That sounds really good. Uh, all my other uh, pieces of fiction right now are sort of in an embryonic phase, but um, in terms of uh, nonfiction and pop culture criticism, uh, women write about comics.com. I have a uh, continuing coverage of Jonathan Hickman X-Men series, which is a very interesting speculative science fiction really leaning hard into that angle of the X-Men comics. It's a very interesting series. And I have some future critical pieces about uh, Jack Kirby and romance and war comics and uh, a lot of superhero things. If people like superheroes, that's a total switch from uh, nuns and horror, but, you know, try to try to vary it up a little bit. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. How about yourself, Robin? I don't really have any continued. I'm trying to write for a few contests, kind of things similar to this. But other than that, right now, I just work as a critic and as a well, as a reviewer and a critic for um, a site called Off Color. I don't have anything major out right now, but I'm currently working on um, an ongoing review for Superman and Lois. Uh, hopefully, that will be done sometime soon. Uh, other than that, just writing for a few things. Hopefully, something something comes of it. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to talk about your stories and to entertain my questions. If you don't mind, I'd like for you to tell us where we can find your work and where we can find you online. I have a regretfully small online presence. Um, and so my other another piece of work that you can find of mine is at About Place um, Practices of Hope, but I don't have like a Twitter website to direct you to. Less Twitter in the world actually makes the world a better place. How about you, Robin? Currently, I don't have a Twitter for my writing, but I do have a Tumblr. You'll mostly find Pixlart on it, though. That's my other hobby. It's bobbytriesatlife.tumblr.com. Tumblr, that's OG. The glory days of Tumblr. <laughs> How about yourself, Kaylee? Yeah, uh, you can find a lot of my clips at authory.com slash Kaylee Hearn. And I am on Twitter, unfortunately, 
at Ronch Ronch Ronch. That's R O N C H times three. It's a comic book sound effect that sounds terrible when I say it out loud. <laughs> say it again. Say it again. Ronch Ronch Ronch. <laughs> I'm actually really entertained by that. Um, and as always, you can find Bitches on Comics on Patreon, on Instagram, and on Twitter with the same handle. And you can also b- purchase your copy of Dakota Pride issue number two, where you can find these lovely works at our website, dakotapride.com. And the issue drops in June for Pride Month. One last question for you all, and this is just kind of my thing, but... What would be the last song that you would want to listen to during the apocalypse or before the apocalypse? Because I think after the apocalypse happens, you're not going to be around. But before the apocalypse actually happens, what is the one song that you must listen to? Kaylee, you go first. Oh, wow. I would say uh, Space Age Love Song by A Flock of Seagulls. Excellent choice. <laughs> Any reason why? Um, I ju- I'm a big New Wave fan. It's kind of a, you know big sparkly new wave science fiction kind of song you know go out with some nice fuzzy feelings oh yeah <laughs> it, it, it played it it played at my wedding so yeah there's uh some nice oh, okay. excellent. Connotations. excellent excellent dance party before the end of the world how about you shia I'd go with Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine, which has kind of become one of my favorite, like, energizing, but also feeling kind of speculative pandemic songs. Excellent. Yes. I love Florence and the Machine. That that definitely... I love Florence and the Machine with karaoke. It's just a really good matchup, I think, if you... I can't hit high notes, but Lord, do I try. How about you, Robin? Uh, this probably wouldn't actually be the song, but the first thing that came to my head was uh, How Far We've Come by Match by Matchbox 20, only because there was this, I don't know if you guys ever watched Linkara, but he did a history of the Power Rangers thing, and he did a, basically like an AMV set to, to that song. <laughs> it's been like every time I think of like an end of the world thing that like pops in my head. <laughs> That's really funny, actually. <laughs> I support this. All right. Well, cool. Those are all of my questions. And I'm so glad that y'all took the time to speak to me today. As I mentioned before, go ahead over to DakotaPride.com and pick up an issue number two of our anthology. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.